There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. <laughs> amateur hour. <laughs> oh, boy, here we go again with amateur hour. Uh, I can't even get the banner to show up right and the timing, Alan. Um, this end of absentee stuff, it's just getting to be intolerable. So I yeah, think we're going to have got to more skill, he's, got, he's got more skills in, in him than is, a, is apparent to the naked eye. First yeah. He's a bit like so, Liam Scales in that regard. I mean, you know, to the naked eye, you see this sort of cumbersome, talentless, you know, left-footed defender thing. But actually, underneath the surface, there's a lot more depth and going on things going on there than, than what you'd probably realize. Maybe yeah. that's why he likes Liam. He sees a lot of himself in him. Maybe that's what it is. I think that might be it. Um, so, yes, apologies. A little clunky start there. Uh, welcome along to the huddle breakdown. Um, we're here to talk about the week's news up until this point, uh, which there's been a bit since we, uh, Alan and I convened earlier in the week. Um, we'll talk a little bit at the end, hopefully a little preview on, on Aberdeen, uh, probably not as much, uh, meat and potatoes there to go over a lot more with the news flow of the last couple of days. You think we'd get some, some calmness here as, as our, our, our returning manager would prefer, I think, um, but at least within the Celtic support, there continues to be some of these issues bubbling up. Um, so, so how how are you getting on, Alan? Since we talked on on Tuesday, was it Tuesday? For God's sakes, I don't even know. It was only, it was only Tuesday. Yeah, no, very yeah. good. It's uh, you know, it, it's because every day seems to bring an, another sort of thing to add to the to do list. So it's just uh, a lot. I think there's, I believe there's a lot going on behind the scenes. But I think you know we're we're a lot of our support and and we all have our moments. We're still in kind of toddler mode as far as you know. <laughs> Signing somebody, <laughs> it's like I get that, but uh, you know, uh, I think uh, I don't know whether the fact that the English Premier League kicks off this weekend, therefore the sort of twenty-five pers- uh, person squads will be locked down, and those that perhaps you know are looking at uh, potentially moving on will become clearer. Those that don't figure in first team plans, etc. Although the other side of that is, I hope we're not hanging a hat on fishing in that market. Totally. I mean, I know we've. Can't, you can't accuse the club of not exploring more uh, eclectic markets for sure. We can't can't say that. But uh, yeah, the English market is, is, as we know, overheated. But on the other hand, as we saw, we've seen in the past with players like, you know, Incham and Forrester and so forth. And, you know, there's a huge amount of wastage in that system to take advantage of if you're smart. So hopefully, you know, we've seen names like uh, Tommy Doyle and James McAtee who, you know, I'm a little bit familiar with because they played for the Blades last season and Sheffield United uh, helped them get promotion. Uh, two very talented young players. You know, I don't know if there's anything in those those rumours at all. But uh, if that if if we're if we're looking at that kind of player, then I guess I'm I'm okay with us fishing in that market. Yeah, yeah. That I think um, it it's um, I, I've professed being relatively calm, even though there's a that's the, the rational part of the brain, but you can't really uh, help but start to get a little anxious um, as, as time uh, moves on. But, you know, it's, it's, it's just not, I don't think it's rational to get worked up until the last week, really, because that's when a lot of this stuff, mm. you know, gets done. Unless you have clubs, you know, obviously with the English Premier League kicking off, you have had some deadlines, you know, we've seen Kane move. And is that finalized yet? I don't know. I, I've been. Uh... It seems like he's he's agreed. You know, they, they've gone through the sort of three weeks of Daniel Levy performance art. And, right. Well, but it's, he, it's it, all the all the all the noise seems to be that Kane's agreed to it, which uh, 
again, you know, will that have any knock-on effect uh, in terms of your, your potentially yeah. Kyogo? I mean, by your, by your I, d I don't think it will personally. It's just a, my personal view. I just don't think a that his profile will be what Tottenham will, will go for, and b I, I wouldn't be convinced that that Kyogo would want to go. But, you know, that's maybe naive on my part. I'm sure if he was, uh, you know. A, a, a large suitcase <laughs> of money was delivered to him. I'm sure he would, right. he would have a view on that, and I'm sure I'm sure I don't know if he's married, but I'm sure his wife would as well, but uh, or partner or whatever it is. So yeah, that'll be well, interesting to see. But uh, yeah, yeah I mean, certainly you know, as you say, the, some of the big deals are only just starting to settle, you know, to sort right. of flush out now, aren't they? Well, and you, and, and the, these markets tend to work top down a little bit, so you get, um, you know, and that's across sports. You, you, the, the the price setters tend to be at the top the most in-demand people, and and then the market starts to kind of fill in um, as that happens. And, you know, with Brighton setting a deadline, allegedly, with Casado now, and that looks like that might be shaking out. So, you, yeah, you would think that there would be a downhill rolling effect as some of these um, high-end uh, markets get kind of set. And, and um, you know, we'll, so, yeah, trying to remain patient. Um, we've, we've got... Some news, though, on that front, obviously, uh, Carl Starfelt um, uh, switching over to the, the Spanish league, uh, Celta Vigo, I think. Is it Rafa? Did I see Rafa Benitez, the manager there now? Is that? Oh, you've caught me out there. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, OK. Well, see. So, yeah. So, again, um, you know, I think generally we've been uh, more on the on the uh, critiquing side. It I is, wouldn't, yes. is it? Yeah, I thought I'd heard that. Or read it somewhere. Mm. Um, so mm -hmm. that, that interesting. It's just you know, um, not a no-name manager for uh, for, for sure. Um, but we we've fallen kind of on the critical side of of Starfelt generally. Um, so um, you know, I think I kind of know what your answer is going to be, but um, pr probably worth addressing because he has left, and and um, there's still I think some debate about what the relative impact of that could be. Uh, for the season going forward. So what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so listen, I think Ange Ball, as, as we called it, uh, was kind of weird in many ways. But one of the things that I think it did is it altered our perception of players. Because the system was so strong, I think potentially there were players who individually, on, on their own, that component, you know, take them away from the team, put them in any other team, may not be that great, but but get them in Ange's system, doing what he wants them to do, performing how he wants them to perform, you know, can be highly effective. And the reason I say that is, you know, I've been collecting data on Celtic players since the start of Ronnie Dyla's, so what's that? I don't know, it was maybe seven, eight, whatever it is, seasons. And very rarely, if ever, has the data been massively out of step with the sort of court of public opinion on players. I think, you know, people tend to take extreme positions. Someone's either brilliant or they're garbage. It's very little in between. And that's one of the fascinations I had with the whole data journey was really with, with, with a few exceptions, most players are competent in some areas, less so in other areas, and more highly so in other areas. And it's the data, what the data helps you do is tease out that more rounded view of a player because, again, you know, they might have missed an open goal. But there's these other 10 things they did during the 90 minutes that were actually really beneficial to the team. You probably don't remember them. They might just be like a little layoff or a run that took, made space for someone else or whatever. And, and you try and sort of capture all those things to give a kind of rounded view of the player. So the reason that I'm coming back to is that the, under Ange, there was obviously been at least two players, uh, Carl Starfer and Rio Hatati, who the... The, the seemingly the sort of settled view of the of the mass of the support view and the data is does seem to be very different to that and, and as i said not really seen that happen before until those particular players and you know i think celtic had a great have had a great team over the last two years we've enjoyed absolutely terrific football been very successful the football's been attacking entertaining stonfeld and hatati have been key players in that team and I think, but I think what we're seeing, or will see, and we even saw a glimpse of on Saturday, is that you know it was incredible in some ways the job that Postecoglou did to create such a cohesive way of playing that you could almost take any player out, put another one in, 
and and it, the, the, you know the wheels would still turn. Everyone knew what they were doing. Everyone knew their jobs. And in Scotland, that worked absolutely brilliantly. We did, and we and we did. We just completely blew teams away, and we blew them away such that you know Endo used to lament, "Oh, what we talk about this week?" Because guess what? We won. We won easily. We did. We played as effective as we had done the week before, and probably as effectively as we were going to play the week after. But what we saw against uh, Ross County is just a little bit of you know how when you change the thing a few things it it it, it doesn't fall apart because there's no way that Celtic's performance was disastrous or fell apart or anything like that it was pretty actually against Ross County but it just wasn't quite as cohesive it just wasn't quite as on point things were a little bit sloppier things were a little bit um, lax and that's what happens when you change things and you know we you and I've had this conversation about you know if you're recruiting to fit into this very specific Ange ball um what happens when you change the manager? What happens when you change the system? Will, the, will those players be actually good enough to, to play in a different system where they may be asked to be more autonomous? They may be asked to make you know, more decisions. They maybe have to play off the cuff a little bit more in terms of deciding which runs to make, etc. So all of that. So so you know that, that was a that, that was a big preamble really. But what why why I think it was important to Starfelt is because you know Starfelt clearly struggled quite a bit. When he first started, there was a lot of it was a very high error rate, and um, you know we, we, I think you and I came to the conclusion in the December of the six months he'd been here that this guy just wasn't going to make it. Um, but he, but 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 Postecoglou believed in in him. The you know the relationship and the form you know with 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 Carter Vickers became a good one. Starfelt kind of simplified his game a little bit to, to take away some of the. The complexity and, and make it easier for him. He fitted well within the system, and and last season, there's no doubt he absolutely improved. He improved to an extent where I would say he was of of a, of an equal. Well, what the data says, not me. What the data says, he improved to a level where you would put him in that bracket of central defenders, like like Boyata, Sviachenko, oops, even even Osimovic, etc. You know what I would call decent, solid, good centre halves. They're not in the Van Dyke. Carter Vickers, Julien is best, not at that level, but you know, good enough and competent enough. And I think he, I think he got there. Um, and as I say, we've talked about before. He had some, he had some great strengths. His his aggressive defending would be a positive. He could turn the ball over. He could force mistakes into in the forward. Um, I, I don't think I've seen a, a centre back quite as effective as him in the box. I don't, I don't think I don't remember him missing a header in the box. I think he was brilliant in the box. Most of his trouble happened when he was asked to do stuff outside the box, whether it was defending against you know aerial, com, aerially competent uh, forwards, or whether it was people running at him, or whether it was uh, getting caught, pulled under the ball, whether it was making rash challenges and so forth. So you know, I I, I think I will remember him fondly. I like the fact that he improved in the time that he was here. I think he was. I think um, he 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 was absolutely trusted by Postecoglou, and fair enough, and 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 he responded positively to that. Became a really good partner for Carter Vickers. I think it's highly disruptive that he's left, but on the other hand, I don't think his ceiling was going to stretch in terms of would he be a better player under Rogers? I suspect probably not, um, because as I say, it will be a slightly less structured system that we that we play under. So and good luck to him. Listen, if it's a personal reason, you know it's not the worst thing in the world to happen to him. He's got a La Liga team under Rafa Benitez. I mean, that's, that's a great move for him. I really wish him wish him all the best. But fascinated to see, you know, as always, you know, we move on and, and what happens next. So I, I was able to catch a part of your uh, Axom uh, appearance on the Friday Bulletin uh, this morning over my uh, coffee. And I heard you mention, uh, I'm going to steal some of Paul John's uh, content here. I hope he doesn't get too upset at me. But um, so you had mentioned a factoid on clean sheets. And I I was wondering if you could repeat that because I want, I'm going to segue that into something that I I tweeted about or X'd about um, uh, this week. Yeah, so the discussion went on to, you know, Carter Vickers and Starfelt. There was a, 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 a fact about um, that they they hadn't lost Celtic hadn't lost the league game where the two of them played together, which you know is a remarkable a remarkable stat. I mean, Celtic have had a remarkable two years and haven't hardly lost the league game anyway. So that that is remarkable. Um, and the question was, you know, are they up there with you know the great sort of partnerships of recent times? 
Uh, I just threw in the fact that I asked the question, what was the partnership that got Celtic the Scottish clean sheet record? Because I think Celtic went something like 13 or 14, I can't remember exactly, games without conceding a goal, and that was a, that was a record. And Fraser Forster was in goal, but nobody could nobody could remember that it was actually Van Dyke and Ambrose that were the central defensive uh, pairings. So that was the kind of... Um, that was the, that was the sort of factoid, as you say, that, that behind that one. But it got me thinking about, you know, what what, what were the great, you know, central defender, defensive, um, you know, partnerships of this century? I mean, because even people, you know, unlikely as it may sound, somebody mentioned, you know, McManus and Caldwell. They were incredibly successful, and probably none of them or neither of them are remembered as, you know, anywhere near the best central defender Celtic have had in the last twenty years, but. They were an effect, incredible, effective partnership. I think the the great partnerships in the last sort of ten years since I've been doing this have been ones that have not lasted very long. So uh, there was a year when Julianne and I are together were absolutely fantastic, yep. Yep. and there was a year, uh, the year of Van Dyke and Denier. Those two together were absolutely fantastic. Um, you could you could you could argue your know, Carter Vickers and Starfield last season as well I, I, I think that's fair and that you can't argue with the fact they did, that Celtic didn't lose a game when they played together so so fair enough yeah so um my, my segue on that is so I, I did a thread on how I've kind of tried to come up with a as I call it a performance attribution um analytical framework uh relative to to football and you know kind of contrast that to how all of us kind of think about these things emotionally as supporters Right. So you get this kind of binary top down supporter mantra, which is, you know, if we're successful domestically, we win a trouble like we did last season, then that kind of permeates and almost like fairy dust and gets sprinkled on everybody. Um, and yes. and every, everyone probably gets, um, you know, a, a bump up in perception as far as, you know, uh, how good they were individually. And, and um, so what I've tried to do is come up with, you know, a little bit more nuanced way of kind of um, assigning credit, so to speak. Um, and, and I posted about that. And I, and I think, and we've talked about this, I think that um, last season we talked about it quite a bit, which was that the, the, the interplay of what you spoke about relative to Ange Ball with the structural advantages that Celtic have from a budget and from a talent perspective just completely overwhelmed the league in a way that, you know, quite frankly, I didn't expect, you know, we've talked about that last season. And I think that that component gets um, underweighted as far as the attribution as to why. Right. And, and uh, the other, the other part of this, so this, that permeates on all kinds of stuff. Like people, I, you know, a lot of people understandably are disgruntled thinking that, you know, this, if this is one of the best center back pairings that Celtic have had in a long time, well, then why is he only going for four million or five million or whatever he's going for to a, a top, you know, big five league? Um, so again, I get it. Like, given that kind of fact pattern and the and the fairy dust that gets sprinkled. Um, but back to your point, I mean, I, I think when you kind of look under the surface, I think a lot of that had to do with structural factors. And that some of his um, and, and, you know, I, 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 I place him in the same category as kind of Joe Hart, which is, you know, quality professionals, quality players who came in and really worked their ass off playing for a manager who they seemed to get on with, who had a mutual trust. Um, but they were miscast actors. Right. They, they, they were Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> uh, uh driving miss daisy right it, it just didn't that, that that's morgan friedman's role <laughs> right you put sly into that one it doesn't make any sense and um so i think both of them really did a great job with the raw equipment that they have uh, in order to go into this system this very specific system and that's why i i will remember both of them fondly well, I still, you know, heart. We'll talk, talk about that. We've talked about that earlier in the week. We're not going to not going to um, uh, do that again. But uh, re relative specifically to Starfeld, I, I'm going to remember him very fondly because I think he did his close to his absolute best being asked to do something. He was asked to play on the left. Probably the worst thing that could happen to him relative to his skill set. I mean, his limitations on the ball. You know, you've talked about it with the body shape, and you know, he's not like a great two-footed center back. To on top of that. Um, 
so he just really did, I think, a great job um, given his limitations and what he was asked to do in that role. But again, if you take a nuanced analytical approach to this, and I, I had posted on this, or I did a, um, a column um, when Navrosky, this was before it was kind of set that it looked like Starfelt was, was leaving for Celtic way. And I went back and I basically documented his error rate and his error rate domestically was fairly consistently bad. So it, it, it wasn't like just that beginning two or three months. Yeah. Uh, the problem is at Celtic, that error rate, even, you know, in a 38 game season, it's still not a lot of occurrences because it's Celtic and we're playing in Scotland and, you know, so it, it's like three a season that where when what's the error category? It's it's when he basically hands the ball over to the opposition and it resu- and it results in a shot. That's the key because there's a lot of times our opponents aren't good enough to capitalize on him just dumping the ball to them in the middle of the pitch <laughs> and they fumble it away or you know they make a bad pass or that kind of thing. So that like to get to that point of actually it resulting in a shot is less likely domestically. So if you look at his error rate data at Europe at, at the, in the Europa League and then in Champions knowing that he, he didn't play a ton in both of those more so this season, it went up by a factor of 5 to the point where on that metric he's in the first percentile of his meaning of the worst of the worst, the absolute lowest relative to his peer group globally in in you know stats bombs database so that's 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 always been my you know we talk about these things scaling to europe so these these this fairy dust sprinkles down and you say okay well he's been this great center back at celtic and in some ways he actually has like i agree with that um but it the stress testing of that under these other conditions like as we step up into this environment it just cascades um and, and that's that's where you know, I'm not upset that he's left. Um, I actually think it's probably a, a blessing in disguise if we're smart about replacing him, hopefully. Uh, I think Navrosky might be helpful in that regard, although I have some reservations there. But um, so it's that kind of thing. Like, it's, ve- it's very nuanced. Like, I, you know, I, I, I think, um, like I said, given what he had to work with, and, and this goes back to recruitment, right? He was not recruited for Angeball. It was pretty obvious. Like he came in too early for that. Like he, he was on some list and they had, you know, vetted him and and maybe it was a value buy because of what was going on in in um uh that was preceding, but um uh the the, the invasion. But um, you know, it it wasn't like a well thought out, like this is a guy who's like the Navarosky actually looks more like an Ange ball center pack, <laughs> quite frankly. Um, than than Starfelt did, so you know it's it, it, it's a bit more nuanced. And was the guy great or bad? Uh, I think I think he was great for what he could have been if he wasn't such a good professional and and a talented guy. Um, but his kind of talents aren't aligned with the role that he was asked to fulfill. Yeah, so, I think that's fair. I think that's very fair. Um, you know, when you were watching him. He'd, he'd, you know, for you'd be playing for fifty minutes, and he'd have been perfect. He'd literally done nothing wrong. He wouldn't have given a single pass away. But when he did give a pass away, it was an awful, awful situation. Right. It was just like, what are you doing? And that, and that was fairly sort of typical. But I think you know, listen, it's a good point, well made. It we talk when we talk about scaling. What we mean is, can you can you perform at the same level as you do in Scotland, and it is equally as effective in the Champions League? Um, and and for him, it's not. I think the remarkable thing that people have almost taken for granted is, is Cameron Carter Vickers. Because the, the remarkable thing again about him is however Starfelt played, whether he was having a good day or a bad day, whoever Carter Vickers was playing again, playing with, whether it was Starfelt, Welsh, AN, other, Carter Vickers' performances never, never wavered. They never dropped. They never reduced. So, you know, in terms of fairy dust, a disproportionate amount should fall on his head in terms of why did Celtic not concede so many goals? Why did that partnership keep you know not not have any losses against them if you look at the performance data the consistency of carter vickers you know you ha- in terms of attribution i would say is a was a far more important factor not to say starfield didn't play his part of course he did and he did it very well but like you say i just don't think he was the the right player but he did the absolute most with what he had yeah and that's this goes back to um 
the importance of you know you you, you mentioned um, McManus and and you know the, the Strachan era center backs who were asked to play a very specific way and it wasn't glamorous but it was effective in in the European theater because you know one could argue reasonably that um, even at that point and it's gotten much worse since then um, that the disparity in in resources um, you know for Celtic to play a front foot attacking you know, aggressive style versus pot one and pot two teams is, I think, highly questionable as far as whether that's realistic to be effective over any like significant period of time. Um, and, you know, so it's about this fit of strengths and weaknesses because we're not we're not going to be able to buy a finished Van Van Dyke product. So it's how do you cobble together these players relative to how we're going to play? And the fact that how we're going to play domestically is almost com- and the strengths and weaknesses are almost completely different than in Europe. And that's the, the the kind of the crazy part. And this is why I thought he, he was a really bad idea uh, under Angeball was that all of his strengths were kind of devalued, meaning that we weren't going to bunker and play and defend our box, which actually would suit him. And actually why I think he's probably a pretty good candidate going to Spain because they're going to under Benitez when he's playing the top five, six teams in Spain, he's actually probably going to be in, in pretty good shape uh, stylistically. Um, and, and so we were going into the Bernabeu, Bernabeu trying to play front foot with Carl Starfelt, <laughs> you know, um, playing as a high line ball control center back. And it's just like, I, I'm not sure that's, you know, that's not fair to him in some ways. And it's probably not a reasonable expectation that that's going to work out too well. Um, so I think, you know, put, putting guys in better positions. So I think probably where we're heading is this is why I said I have some reservations on the Vrosky, um, is, you know, if we're, if the game plan is to be more conservative and to maybe play five, four, one and bunker a little bit against Real Madrid at, in, in, in Madrid, that kind of, uh, conceptually, um, that actually probably does lend itself to Carl Starfelt, <laughs> uh, more, more, more so than a ball playing center back in, in some ways. Um, so it's, it's very nuanced in that way in, in how these kind of strengths and weaknesses. And to your point, like, you know, a huge part of this is what are the strengths and weaknesses of the guy next to him? And, you know, Carter Vickers has a lot of strengths. Um, so not only does, how does the individual fit, but how do they kind of you know, play off of and compliment, um, uh, Carter Vickers. So yeah, an, an ode to Starfelt, I think generally, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll hold him in high regard. Um, even with all of the, 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 the criticisms and critiques that we've had from a performance perspective, it's, and again, it has nothing to do with him. Like I, I don't think you could have a bigger disparity you know, between the regard for the individual and the effort and the professionalism and the buy-in and all that stuff versus factors he couldn't control um, and him, you know, doing the best he could with the circumstances. So, um, so yeah, let, let, let's move on to maybe some of the other news, I guess. Um, there, was there a big co- press conference or something or an interview um, that made some headlines over the last 24 hours? Did you hear anything on that front? Yeah, I mean, it seemed it came to come to light that uh, you know Bernabe because he was completely missing from the squad last Saturday that he'd slipped in, which you know I'm sure we've all done that in our in our youth. I think you know I'm not making excuses for the guy. I don't know the situation. I think he's got a young a young baby actually, but uh, you oh, know he's all been there. <laughs> in, yeah, he's had a couple of indiscretions so far. I think yep. he had an unfortunate incident last year that's probably a little bit more um, worrisome, but. Uh, this sounded like a more of a sort of human type thing, but anyway, listen. He was, looks like he's back in training. He'd had a good preseason. I, I was wondering, speculating whether he might have a chance of getting in ahead of Greg Taylor, just based on preseason form. I suspect that 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 has gone for for the short term. In the in the you know, if Celtic continue to perform reasonably well like they did last, um, you know, last uh, week, uh, then I think you know he, he will he will be a, he will be a sub until until Taylor's or till if or when Taylor's form uh, degrades slightly. So um, there was that, and then you know, there was some you know chatter. You, you seem to make a point about um, you know obviously he's been quizzed about Rio Hatati not starting again. You know I think the the level of um, perception really about 
Hatati's performances mean that this this was seen as a quite a ballsy and big big move that he wasn't in the first eleven, and Turnbull was. Um, so yeah, that seemed to gather some attention. I think Rogers was just saying that, you know, as far as he's concerned, Tati understands what is required of him, is training well, and therefore will play a part of the season, which is exactly what you'd expect, really, him him to say. So um, I don't know what's behind that. As I say, we speculated last week about, uh, you know, so could it be form? Uh, obviously, the sort of preseason games that was certainly the case. I think the the number of blind passes he gave away against Bilbao was something that the manager didn't like and was concerned about um, uh, whether there are other issues around attitude or buy-in, whether he feels he's he's run his course with Celtic, I don't know. Um, but certainly there seemed to be a shift between Hatati as he played in Japan and then Hatati when he, he came back to the to the country. Turnbull's come in, done a decent job, I thought, against Ross County. Um, did, did, did pretty well, actually. Um, in 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 a slightly different role with with O'Reilly in a quite in a, quite a, I like quite like the fact they were both of them trying to get into the box, get past the uh, the striker, uh, which I thought was worked really well. I think they're both capable and skillful at that. That's if that's what um, uh, that's what Rogers wants his two number eights to do. I could see that you know that's probably not Hitati's strength. I think he's better deeper. He's better better with the sort of play in front of him. I don't see that he's um, he's one that's going to sort of run past the striker and be getting on the end of passes and all that sort of thing. So maybe there's a little bit of that in it as well, just in terms of what the demands of that number eight role are under under Rogers in 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 the early early bits that we've seen. So yeah, those I think those were the two things. I think it's been it's been kind of packaged together as you know Rogers being you know putting his stamp on the squad, being disciplined, etc. I don't know if that's, that's just a confection or that's a, a reality. I think we've seen in the past with Rodgers, he is somebody that, you know, you, you do need to keep on the right side off and you will turn <laughs> if things, if you're not perceived to be on, on message, a bit like Postacogli, you're either you're either in or you're either out or you're out. And I think Rodgers is probably quite similar in that regard. Well, and if, if, I, if I go back to the kind of the attribution uh, framework that I was referencing, um, one of the things that you and I had talked about a lot last season was about the potential for maybe uh, the perception of the quality of recruitment was uh, getting some of that fairy dust <laughs> that was really, uh, you know, Ange ball being laundered. <laughs> um, uh, and and I think, you know, th this highlights a couple of things, which is the potential for that, um, meaning that Rogers may be coming in and having a different view than that's disparate from what the consensus fan view is on some players. Uh, good and bad, by the way. Um, and uh, the, the flip side of that is, it goes back to the strategic question, is, you know, I, I would call um, Pasta Coglu and, and Rogers, you know, maybe kissing cousins uh, as far as, you know, how they are going to play at Celtic. Um, you know, they're not too far away from, from each other, but Relative to Celtic, you know, kind of really getting forward and making these advancements, it's a question of optimization. And, you know, are you optimizing for the style of play and the way that the manager wants to, to do things? And even with that little bit of variation, it's a question of, okay, like how much how much of this overhaul in the squad is going to occur? Because Rogers is coming in and said, you know, nope, 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 nope. And could that be better managed over transitions if it was more coherent in, you know, how those transitions are going to go on. Um, because, you know, Pasta Coglu plays a very specific way. I mean, that he's on the kind of outlier edge of style of play, uh, as we've talked about endlessly since his arrival, kind of the, the, the Bielsa wing of, um, you know, almost like a... How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Yeah, an ideological radical positionalism. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Um, so, you know, this goes back to this question of strategic alignment and being efficient and optimizing. Um, so part of this, what we might be seeing is the friction of that. So a combination of maybe recruitment wasn't as good as consensus thought it was under uh, Angie's tenure. And then you throw a new manager who is a really talented, bright guy and is coming in saying, OK, this is how I want to do things. And we, you know, we need to make some maybe more radical changes than um, the consensus would have thought coming out of a treble winning season. Right. I mean, you would think, you know, that, that these things would be more settled and all of a sudden it's looking like maybe we're not that settled. Yeah. I think that's it. I think that's right. I mean, I, 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 I think I'm surprised really at how unsettled we, we perhaps are. I think there's a lot more unsettling going on than I perhaps, uh, anticipated I, like you say I, I kind of had this sort of naive view that we would that Rogers would come in the vast majority of players would um buy into what Rogers was selling uh, and and we would have a relatively quiet summer with a, with a bit of strengthening really but I think there's a lot more I don't, I don't think you know the Jota thing was probably a little bit unexpected the Starfield thing was probably a bit unexpected obviously Moy got injured but you know the fact that it was bad enough to force him to retire was probably not something that was ideal either there's three Big players there, uh, for, you know, that have been part of that 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 journey and that story. I think they expected Abada to, to leave, not Jota, and now Abada. Hopefully, Abada might be buying into into Rogers' uh, sort of vision, which would be great. And then you know, we've had the sort of disruption around potentially around Hitati, around Abay behaviour. It just seems an awful lot more. I don't, I, you know, it's, it's become as a bit of a. Not, it's not a shock, or it shouldn't be a shock, but you know, Joe Hart's decline has been very, you know, quite dramatic and sudden. And that's suddenly now an issue that needs to be addressed. Um, all, all of that. So it's all these things you're coming to fruition at the same time, as well as just the normal sort of, uh, you know, where, you know, wheels of change as, as they go on sort of thing. So I think you're right. I think, you know, Rogers has, has made his assessments. I thought there would be like the, more or less the players that were out on loan would be shipped out and we might lose one or two uh, to, to, you know, to, you know, deals that we couldn't turn down really and that we'd kind of strengthen sort of thing. So we've seen... We've seen the kind of the wheels of normality turning, which is the sort of get the get the young, you know, money ball type signings in from obscure markets. Take that's fine. Um, we've seen the big deals with under Jota happening. That's fine. 
but we haven't seen the big incomings yet. And there's a bit more disruption in the current squad than perhaps we've a bit anticipated. So I think you take all that together, probably just a little bit, feeling a little bit uneasier than if we were sat here two months ago, maybe. Yeah, and I, I think that's is, you know how we open the show. I think that's probably what's feeding into this kind of underlying anxiety that I think most of us are feeling probably um, because it's been a little bit more disrupted and and less settled. And I mean, again, if you just think about it, if, if whether it's through uh, choice or eventually an exit, uh, if you throw Hitate into the mix, I mean that, and if they end up addressing the keeper situation, that's five starters effectively yeah. um, from last season and i i don't you know even i who was you know probably on the extreme wing of thinking that there might be um more of an overhaul than 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 some i wouldn't have thought five um mm. not the way that it's gone on yeah it's 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 mm. th it would be something else now the the positive of all this is you know there could not have been a better um financial situation to be addressing this um so again, it, it's not a, a dour um, assessment from me. It's more so, again, ideal. Like, how do we move more towards the more ideal? Because you're never going to get to the perfect ideal. Um, but if you're going to continue to make progress towards more efficient, better decision making, um, you know, resource maximization, that kind of thinking, um, you know, I, I I I I think we're still a ways away from that. But you know, um, having a lot of money to maybe paper over some of those inefficiencies, I think, is better than not having it. <laughs> and um, so that that's that's the good news. Um, and, and, you know, again, if we sign three or four of the Jota, Carter Vickers level players between now and I mean, I don't know if the window closes exactly on the 31st this year, or September 1st or whatever. But, um, you know, then that that can can change the entire equation on all of this um including how yeah. we're all feeling, how, how we're all feeling and I, I, yeah and i think and i think that's that's i still believe that's likely i think i do too yeah uh, i believe there, 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 there was a plan to sign three starters and with starfelt going that's probably four now you know it, it, it seems like there's definitely interest in the the swedish guy lager bielke who looks again a really promising player actually um you know all the usual caveats in place. Never seen him play, just seen the highlights and the data. Uh, of course, you know, so wait and see and all that. And it's not done deal, but you know, we're going if we're going to be looking at that sort of level and, and hopefully, like you say, higher. Then if if the three or four come in to effectively replace, therefore the five, if you if you count Navratsky as as a, essentially a first team level player, then you know, pretty much at the end of that, you hope that we've upskilled. Upskilled because if, if effectively we've got a new first choice goalkeeper, we've got a new first choice centre back partner for C Carter Vickers, based on all the limitations and the realities of what we've talked about, that immediately would be hopefully an upgrade, right? So that's that's where we want to be. We want to be gradually but perceptibly improving the the overall um, you know quality of the squad, and we're, like you say, with the money that we've got, even though it isn't actually that easy to spend money, <laughs> especially when you're shopping in the same markets as the big leagues. Then um, you know that that I still think I still think we need to kind of believe that that will happen, and I believe that is the the intention. So yeah, no, no, definitely no panic, but yeah, I think we're right to be mildly concerned for sure. So what? Uh, any other news of the week that you want to uh, raise or mention before we transition over to take a look at Aberdeen? This is what so. happens when we um, don't. This is what happens when our producer doesn't show up again? We just <laughs> kind of wing it on the fly. I think yeah, I, you know, I'm kind of worried a little bit about the the whole kind of Rocco Vata situation. You know, he's a year yeah, out, I, a year out from ending his contract. He's doesn't look like he's signing. Yeah, I, I, this all comes this all this all comes back to, and this isn't Celtic's fault by the way, right? Celtic and all the clubs in Scotland we don't have, do not have a credible pathway for young players to develop yeah. into the first into first team players. You know, the 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 loan league solution is better than no solution, but it's a highly imperfect solution. You cannot go from playing, you know, University of Stirling students on a Tuesday to to Tyne Castle on a Saturday. It's just it's just not realistic. So, because of those structural um, um, inefficiencies in the Scottish game, Celtic have got to find ways to give their young players uh, a better platform to progress. Now. 
this this Admira Wacker link up in Austria, where um, it looks like some guys are going to go and play in the Austrian Bundesliga 2, I think they call it maybe. Um, that sounds like a great innovative uh, solution. Obviously, you've got the existing kind of loan market. So um, if you've got players that can play, even in the Scottish Championships in the past has been quite good. Even you know, League One in England is, is a hell of a is a hell of a tough school to to bring bring kids on. But people like Lowell and uh, and uh, Vata, you know, the age they're at, and and they're both I pick on those two because they're both seem quite physically uh, well developed uh, guys. So um, you know, you need to find opportunities for them where they can play first team football, men's football. In a, in a highly competitive environment, and then, then let's see let's see how they get on. Um, but you know, it's, it's I don't know if that's behind the Vata situation, and maybe other factors at play as well. But you know, it just it just looks like it's going to be another sorry tale where Celtic lose a top top talented youngster to potentially you know another a, a big club for nothing, virtually nothing. Yeah, and that's unfortunately seems to have been the the trend in recent years. And you know, this is where you go back to. Um, you know, and I've, I've, I've said this in the past, it's one of my concerns has been the, there's always this, um, and again, this has happened across sports, um, you know, the, this, this follower impulse, which is, you know, you get, um, clubs or franchises in different sports that are more pioneering and innovate and, you know, do smart things. And then people try to mimic it, obviously, you know, it's kind of the natural thing to do. Um, and, you know, there are smart ways to go about doing that. And then there are ways that aren't that smart. Right. And, and a lot of, um, a lot of clubs and, and franchises, you know, are in this kind of perpetual cycle of um, not really smart mimicry. Right. So they're kind of always chasing um the, the, the level setters and that, you know, what I've preferred to see is, you know, Celtic figuring out a way to be innovative, but looking at the specific situation that Celtic are in, I mean, that you can't, they're not going to be Salzburg. That's crazy. There's too much uh, specific stuff with being in Red Bull with them having, you know, set their anchor down in Africa from a scouting perspective, like they've got IP intellectual property that and value and, the institution that they've built that is not something that you can replicate. Um, but you can get really smart people that are, you know, innovative and say, Hey, like, let me walk into the specific situation at Celtic that has this SFA problem and the culture problem within Scotland and this pathway issue. And, you know, the, to me that should catalyze radical thinking, which is why do we even have an Academy? You know, do you go the radical route of a Brentford? Um, even though they've kind of circled around and maybe revisit. And that's the thing. It's like how much money has been spent on all of this player development with not a lot to show for it for quite a long time now. And what would it take to invest to ramp that up? And who's really the person in charge of doing that? Like, are you just trying to be Salzburg in a kind of mimicry way and doing it in a way that's not really you know, likely to succeed, um, given the reality of that we're, you know, Celtic and we're facing as a club. And it's, that's where I've been concerned. And I, I, it's taught, like you said, like a lot of this is not, you know, quote unquote, the fault of the club, but how we handle it is that's just the responsibility of the people running the club. And that that's, you know, so if it's either, if you're going to do it well, then freaking do it well. You know what I mean? Don't yeah. do. Don't, why, 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 don't half why, why, why don't you have? Why don't you have Celtic's Academy in, somewhere in Scandinavia? Celtic's Academy I, is in Scandinavia, right? And and if you I, find some right. good Scottish kids, you say, right, here's a life experience for you. We'll educate you. We'll house you. We'll give you a great life experience. You can go and over there. But we'll, we're, otherwise, we're, we're going to use that as our base, and we'll we'll troll Northern Europe for kids that are that are you know, talented enough to play in Celtic's first thing. and you know. And, and, we'll, and we'll, we'll, we'll create we'll create link-ups with smaller clubs in those leagues to, to loan and, and, and let them let them play play players that have come through that system. I don't know. I'm just thinking. I'm just right. I mean, I'm, off the top of my head. I'm sure. I'm, I'm, that's, that's, that's the point. You need to do something better than what we get. What we do. Yeah, and I I, I guess that's always 
been my concern, which is if you kind of look at the pattern of, you know, the uh, player retirement path, right? So that's the, you're feeding into the coaching system of, you know, um, understandably and again, but are these the most talented people that could be setting the stage and the vision and, you know, moving the things forward in a way that's going to make it, you know, I'll call it European class, right? That maybe like top, top third, right? And again, we talk about this from a player trading model. You know, we're not going to be Benfica. We're not going to be Salzburg, but can we at least be better than Malda? <laughs> you know what I mean? Can, exactly. We, exactly. can we at least, you know, yeah. match Dynamo Zagreb and, you know, some of these other clubs that face challenges as well um, that aren't anchored in, you know, tropical paradises or, you know, great climates and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it's, it's your, you know, so that, that I, I agree that news is not surprising, but it's, you know, that I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, we'll see what the game plan is to maybe stime, stymie that hemorrhaging. Cause it has, it's become a hemorrhaging. I mean, the last three or four years, it's been, you know, pretty much if it's a good quality player, two things are happening. Number one, they're not getting a sniff of the first team um, and they're leaving. So we're losing them. We're losing them, you know, just on the cusp of getting into the B team. They're not even, you know, they wouldn't even be ready for the first team. I mean, arguably maybe Ben Doak seems like an outrageously talented player. And that's going to be a huge loss. So I think in, in time, but, you know, players like Hepburn and Morrison, I mean, they, they were nowhere near the even the B team yet because they were too young. Right. Right. <laughs> so we're losing them because 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 I'm thinking, well, what what am I going to do now when I turn 16? Oh, you're going to play in the Lowland League if you're lucky. Well, <laughs> or I could play for Bayern Munich's B team. Well, <laughs> like, right. okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, not, not listen. A, so Aberdeen game. Too. Let's get on to that. Let's get yeah, on to the Aberdeen yeah. game. Yeah, yeah. Go on. You've been doing some uh, good good digging on this. Yeah. So. Um... You know, the, the the obvious caveat applies, which is we, when we're dealing with um, relatively small sample sizes of games that, you know, there's a lot of noise that entered uh, enters the picture. Um, but I, I was just curious because, you know, any, anytime I hear uh, a pervasive narrative in uh, Scottish football, my, my alarm bells go off. Like when I hear a bunch of people echoing the exact same thing, it's just the way I, my brain works. I'm like, that's an interesting, you know, the fact that that's happening, it sounds like it's universal. I'm just going to go look. <laughs> like, does it does um, d- does an analytical approach to how uh, games unfolded, um, you know, d- does it support what the narrative is? And then I look for like big gaps, uh, and that's usually when I, you know, try to either do a thread or say something on here. Because um, a lot of times, you know, th- there are times when you know perception does match the underlying. Um, so. Th- the 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 transition in their manager last season occurred with a huge shift in results. Like that's obviously objectively true, uh, to the point where they were able to, you know, um, secure third place, and that's you know been a big deal. And hopefully they're able to make some progress in the Europa League, qualify, and get the group stages there, and 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 um, have some success there. But it will not have been because their underlying performance metrics improved <laughs> under the new manager. Um, <laughs> So if, if you actually look at kind of underlying trends, um, they, they did get more resolute in a defensive perspective, meaning that they did, you know, kind of reduce chance creation from the opposition by about 10%. Um, and most of that was an open play. So again, that's kind of a good thing. Normally all things being equal, but the problem was that their attacking output tanked in a, in a meaningful way, way more than their, their, we call it suppression of chance creation occurred. So if you kind of net out um, open play, uh, you look at set pieces and, you know, XG for both, um, you know, it was not a positive trend that emerged. And you say, well, why does that matter? Results turn. Well, of course it did. Um, The question is, was is it sustainable, right? Was there something structurally and fundamental that changed that the manager controlled or was it some of these other kind of just weird factors that occur in shorter periods of games? It's the same reason why sometimes managers get, you know, sacked stupidly, even though, uh, you know, like, like, like uh, I would argue at Hibbs with Ross, Jack Ross, and, you know, pretty good managers on a relative basis end up getting uh, fired and sacked for what is really just variance. 
um, or bad recruitment or bad fit and some of these other things. So again, back to this attribution mentality of thinking about like what, what actually drove the performance. And there was two big things that occurred um, during this period. Their, their finishing was good over, I think it was 15 games, that they just finished more chances than they had under, under Goodwin. Um, and I didn't get down to the point where like the actual players, like I didn't look at the mix of which strikers were playing or how the chances fell between forwards and midfielders. I didn't, I didn't go to that depth because quite frankly, I don't care that much, but it's not Celtic, but, um, just on, on kind of a basic level of, you know, what chances that they have and did they finish them or not, you know, it swung huge from, they were not, they were really under finishing. And they went to really well, good finishing. So that's a big chunk. Like that can be as much as like a goal a game at times over that number of, of matches. Um, and then at the same time, Roos, who's been a good keeper, a good shot stopper, probably the best in the league, um, went from being good to really good <laughs> during that window. So you balance those two things out. And I would argue, you know, neither of them, unless, he, you know, um, Robson's like the greatest coach ever and teach, you know, teaching finishing, which, you know, maybe he is, I don't know. Um, that for the most part, it was probably just kind of variance that, that, uh, drove a lot of this. Um, and I, I think you've also picked up on, you know, and I, I looked at some of the data, like stylistically, they've gone back towards more of a long ball, um, philosophy, which again, that maybe that's a smart thing. I don't know. I'm not j- making that judgment. I'm just looking at kind of the general, uh, performance trends, um, but how does that fit relative to their personnel and, um, you know, is there a strategic kind of coherence to what they're doing the way Robson wants to play, uh, because they're, you know, going longer more and the, it seems like their pressing intensity has also picked up, um, which again, from a, I'm looking at this from a Celtic perspective, like I'm drooling going into the weekend, <laughs> I'm like, you know, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking like, okay, this is the kind of game I think, well, maybe I bet the over on goal scored, <laughs> uh, depending on what the pricing is. Um, because it looks like a situation where it's going to be at Patadri, obviously I suspect they're not going to bunker this early in the season. Um, and they'll probably go long and and try to try to press us high, particularly given how Ross County had some success in attempting that. Uh, and that seems to be a predilection that that Robson's uh, implementing to be even more aggressive. It's not that Goodwin wasn't pressing, but looks like Robson's Robson's kind of cranked it up a notch. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of the the, the situation that as I see it as we move into the game um, is that there's probably this overselling of how much better quote unquote Aberdeen got under Robson and that um, the way he's at his style of play, if he follows through, like maybe he will bunker, I don't know, but um, I kind of see a pathway here where it could be beneficial to the matchup for us on Sunday. Yeah, that, that's fair. And a little bit depressing because, you know, I'd like to think that, you know, Robson has transformed them and they're a great side and that they're going to I, have a really good, really good run in the, champ- in, the, in, the, in the Europa League, etc. But yeah, I mean the thing that was remarkable about week one is is just the sheer number of long long balls that they attempted. Um, last season uh, in the SPFL, the most long ball orientated team was Ross County, who um, attempted uh, like eighty two a game and were successful with thirty one. Celtic, not surprising, were the least with with forty two, and Aberdeen averaged about sixty, which is the third lowest in the league after the, the the top two teams in their first match against Aberdeen against Livingston story last week, they attempted 84, <laughs> 80, uh, 84 long balls, which is, uh, as I say, higher than the highest average from last season anywhere in the league. And they were only successful with 22 of them. Uh, actually Celtic attempted an awful lot more long balls as well as one of the features, which I um, picked yep. up from um, pre-season and actually manifest in the game against Ross County is that, you know, Celtic were hitting much earlier balls. And when you've got, you know, forwards that we've got, that makes perfect sense, especially the amount of high pressing that Ross County were doing. And Celtic were actually successful with 46 out of 61 um, long passes last week, which is which is excellent, actually, in yep. terms of a, a completion rate uh, for that kind of pass. So, the, but the other side, other aspect of it is that, to me, it just doesn't make any sense for Aberdeen to play that way, given the personnel that they have. I think they've got, you know, outside of certainly, well, actually, based on the evidence of last week, outside of Celtic, 
I would say they've got the best strikers in the in the league potentially. <laughs> in, in, uh, is the Duke still there? And, and, is the Duke still Duke's there? Still there. Still there? Yeah, Duke's still there. Right. And and but they're both they're both quite skillful players that want to get the ball to their feet and 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 link up. And you know, behind them last season, they had Clarkson, who they've managed to get again. I think, who was a really nice, nice footballer. Um, yeah, that to signing. me suggests they, they, they should they should be they should be playing a bit of football, really, not just lumping it long against two players who I don't see, you know, launching balls up, up to Duke or even Mayovsky. I know he's he's a bit of a bigger guy, but he's he's not really a sort of classical target man. I don't think he's no. he's more of a kind of big, skillful kind of player. Um, so yeah, none of that makes any sense to me in terms of. The cohesiveness. I think they had two fullbacks playing in the back three last week, which again suggests that Robson's, you know, tied to a particular way of playing and he'll shoehorn people in to do it. You're still relying on bless him, Johnny Hayes, having to having to basically, you know, run the whole of the uh, the left flank by himself. I mean, how old is he now? 36, 37? It, it, yeah, yeah, he's got to be. So it, I, I, none of it makes sense to me. I'll be honest with you. I mean. Fine, Monday might get a bloody nose. We might lose. You can all laugh. That's fine. But I just Johnny I just, just turned thirty six. He just turned thirty six. Yeah, Johnny yeah, just yeah. turned thirty six. It, it just none of it seems cohesive to me, uh, really, in terms of what what Robson's trying to do there. So um, that's all good as far as Celtic are concerned, I guess. But it's, it's sad in terms of you know we'd like to see some good coaching talent in the Scottish Premier League because you know the potential of the Aberdeens, the Hibs, the Hearts that are there to be. You know, if you think of other clubs in Europe that have, you know, somewhere between 20,000 average crowds, you know, that's a, that's a sufficient um, base on which to grow a, a decent football club. And I, when I say that, I mean, you know, get a few rounds in the Europa League, take a few points in the group stages, maybe even sneak out of the group uh, every year or two, rather than just never even qualifying. So that's it's, it's in that context that I'm a little bit saddened. I think, like you. I'm you know, looking forward to Sunday in terms of a matchup. I think Celtic um, farm will be far more coherent and um, we'll have too much for Aberdeen uh, given the way that they're set up. But I just wish those clubs would sort themselves out and get some decent coaching talent and decent recruitment to back it up. Well, and I, if, if, I, if I try to take the charitable uh, perspective, um, is, you know, it, it was at, I think it was at Livingston, right? So, you know, again, it has its own... Um, Ping pong. Uh, they didn't and, have a shot on target. Well, no, I know that. But as far as yeah. going long, and you know, it, it was one of those games where, you know, you, you go to Livingston and it can Zero. get to be <laughs> the know, only the only club that didn't have a shot on target. Even Ross County, well, Ross County scored with both of theirs. Which let's not go into that again. But right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but again, if if I'm trying to be charitable, it'd be well, if 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 there was a place where you're going to be inordinately long, Livingston's probably you know the games that you're going to do it with. Um, I'm skeptical. I mean, I, I, I share your skepticism. That's, that's why I'm, you know, trying to take the devil's advocate approach here. Um, and the, the other big part I, I didn't, I, I didn't even check um, is if, uh, is Royce Roos still their keeper? I'm going to, I'm pulling that up right now. Uh, I think he is. Yes. Kel Roos. Yeah. So that, that yeah, introduces, yeah. A, you know, kind of a wild card, which is he, you know, being a, a, a quality shot stopper, um, you know, he's still of an age where he's probably I mean, not they, in any kind of material decline. He I, could, don't know, he could... I, don't, I don't know what their I don't know what their injury situation is like. They must have injuries, right? But they had Nicky Devlin that was a you know Livingston's right back for twenty years. He's he was playing centre back. They had right. the guy, young guy Mackenzie, who's a left back playing centre back. Yeah, the lad Paul Vara, who's not very good in central midfield with Clarkson, who's I think is really looks like a nice yep. good footballer. Shinny, I mean, how many years can Shinny catch up to people enough to kick them? I don't know. He's getting on a bit as well. The two strikers yep. are good. I like them. Um, and, and as I say, poor Johnny on, on the left wing all on his own. So I, it just looks a bit of a mess to me. I have to be honest with you. Yeah, I I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you. I was just thinking, you know, from a risk perspective. Um, you know, if, if we have an off day from a shooting perspective, finishing perspective, and Roos has a, and or Roos has one of the, the days where he, he's really effective uh, from a shot stopping perspective. But yeah, I mean, again, I'm, I'm trying to um, stress test where we could run into problems. Yeah. Um, the, the, day, the days, the days at Pataudry where we've struggled in, and I, mean, I don't think we've lost since 2016 up there, but the, and the days when we struggled tended to be the classic 
midwinter Tuesday night. The the, the the wind is absolutely howling and the rain, etc. Yeah. Hopefully, it's like twenty two degrees, nice and calm, right. <laughs> sunny afternoon. <laughs> it should be fine. Yeah. I agree. Well, um, we're end is out, so we're not doing prediction. I'm putting my foot down, so we're not going to do predictions. Yeah, other than it. I think we're both relatively comfortable going into the game. Um, and I probably the most interesting uh, aspect of this will be if any of your other um, radical ideas on surprises follow through uh, going into the game. I suspect not, but who knows? We'll see. Um, and you know what he does in midfield. So if 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 we kind of persist with uh, Turnbull over Hatate, I think that'll maybe be another data point that um, is at least worth noting <laughs> um, as far as what, what the underlying uh, situation might be there. So, all right. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. Uh, I think this is the part where Enda does uh, the, the follow uh, comment on, I don't think, you know, I've added this. I, I've, I'm going to have to talk to him about this. So if you, you want to leave a, a review on iTunes, um, you know, pl please do so. Uh, a favorable review. If you have a bad review, then ignore what I just said. Um, so, no, it actually, yeah. actually doesn't matter. Apparently, it doesn't matter. So, on any of these platforms, you can leave, you can say what you want, and so fill your boots. If you want, oh, if you okay. want to really tell James, James what you think of him, please, please do, because uh, apparently, it doesn't matter whether the comments are favorable or negative. It all helps to boost the, oh, the, uh, well, the I, algorithm and the traffic. So, get, I, get yourself, get yourself. I, I, I can tell yeah. my wife that I'm. I do this show. Don't kick. I've, don't, I've kept it secret. Don't, don't, secret. Don't, don't kick. Don't kick your poor cat. You know, take it out on James on on the comments on any of your channels. It's fine. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I can come out of the closet to my wife. I can tell her that I'm doing the show now because I know she'll leave a bad review. But um, so yeah, <laughs> subscribe on YouTube. Uh, get get involved with comments. We usually try to interact with people uh, that leave comments. Um, and uh, yeah, everyone enjoy the game Sunday and we'll be back with a review um, next week. Have a good weekend, Alan. Take care. Thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 